right. Well, good morning again. Come on, guys. We can do better than that. Good morning again. There we go. Hey, listen. He is risen. He is risen. That's right. Hey, that brother back there has got it. Listen. Listen. In the early church, when they would greet one another, they would actually, one Christian would say to the other one, instead of saying, hey, how are you? They'd say, he is risen. And the other one would say back, he is risen indeed. So let's try that. You ready? He is risen. Man, you guys did it well the first time. I didn't even got to make you do it again. That was great. That was great. Uh, my name's Brian. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And so if you're a first-time guest, again, we're really happy that you're here with us um, today to celebrate Easter together. Um, we've got a, a, just a, a powerful word from the Lord today that I think will be an encouragement um, to all of us. And, um, and, and so I would just ask you to, to dig in, to open up your Bibles, and let's go get it this morning. Does that sound good? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and for the relevance that lies within it. Father, we thank you that, um, God, you've given us a guidebook for life. And God, we thank you for the part we're going to talk about today that makes our faith real, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that uh, you would open hearts, open minds today, and that you would move in our midst. You'd allow your Holy Spirit to move freely in and out of every seat. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, don't kids do funny things sometimes? Yes. How many of you guys have kids? Let me see your hands. The rest of you are ashamed to admit it, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Hey, they, they do funny things. For, for our regulars here, you guys know my wife, Sonia, and I, we have three kids. But I actually, I brought a picture today to show all of our, our first-time people that maybe don't know us. Um, I brought a picture of our family, of my wife, Sonia, and I, and our three kiddos, so you guys can have a reference point for the story I'm about to tell you. All right? So this, this actually was two Easter's ago, and I chose this, this picture on purpose because this is right around the time that this story took place, because right now my son's five. He'll be five in a couple weeks, and here he's three. Now, this actually was Easter two years ago. And the reason our eyes look so sleepy is because this was right after a sunrise service that we did at my other church. Sunrise services are wonderful, but they're extremely early, okay? And, uh, but we had a great morning there. And uh, so uh, that, the good-looking one on the right, that's me in the green shirt there. You can laugh. Come on, laugh. There you go. That's good. If you laugh, you get out earlier. That's how it works. Uh, down below there, there's Claire. Uh, and then Madison to the left of, or to her right, to my left. Sonia, my wife, and then Carter. Uh, look at that sweet little face on that little boy. You won't even believe what I'm about to tell you about him. That sweet little face. He's about three right there. So use that for context as I tell you this story. So a couple years ago, we were living um, in, in a suburb just outside of Raleigh. We lived in a really great neighborhood, and we loved our house. But more than that, we really loved our neighborhood, and we loved our neighbors. You guys ever had good neighbors where you just didn't want to move? Uh, we've all probably had the bad neighbors from time to time. Well, these were good ones, and we would grill out together. There was a community pool, and uh, we'd go swimming together. It was really neat, and our, our kids would exchange houses back and forth all day long and leave doors open as they like to do. Uh, my dog actually could be found in the neighbor's house on certain days, and they were cool with it. That was great. But we got along really well. One day, uh, on a given day, we were uh, sitting inside of our house and the doorbell rang. And so we went and opened the door. And on the other side of the door that day was something that I'd never seen before. It was a door-to-door book saleswoman. I didn't even know those existed. Like, I know the door-to-door game has kind of gone down the tubes in the last few years, but I had no idea that someone would have the courage to come and try to sell Dr. Seuss on my front doorstep. And this lady, listen to me, she was pushy and aggressive, all right? My wife actually told her no when she came up, and the lady kind of put her hand on the door like she was going to push the door and come on in anyway. It's like, have you guys ever been to a timeshare presentation? It was like pretty close to that, like a combination of like that and maybe people that are really passionate about CrossFit and they're trying to get you excited about it. You ever met those people? Yeah, the only thing harder than CrossFit is listening to people talk about it. You know what I mean? 
I'm kidding. I love you CrossFit people. But here, she was pushy. And our neighbor, Shauna, uh, to the next door of us, she actually threatened this lady. She said, listen, if you come back, this happened for like a month. She said, if you come back, I'm going to call the police. To which the book saleswoman says, well, good luck with that because I know the sheriff. What do you do with that? You can't even call the police and like get anything done. Well, it had been actually a couple of weeks, about a week and a half, two weeks, that we hadn't seen this lady. All right? And, uh, and then out of nowhere, she appears in the cul-de-sac of our neighborhood. Well, immediately, so Sonia and my son, who was three at the time, were hanging out on the front porch at our neighbor's house. Immediately as they see this woman, our neighbor Shauna yells out, Hey, Vance, get the gun! <laughs> now, I know you Southwest Kansas people love these gun stories. I know you love them. It's good. It's good. Someone say amen to that. That's good. That's good. Listen, and she says, get the gun, to which her husband says, what are you talking about? And she says, no, get the BB gun. It looks like a real gun, and maybe it'll scare her off. Well, all my three-year-old son heard was the word gun. And he's getting antsy over there on the front porch. He starts going, let's get her. Let's get her. Let's get her. And he's thinking all of his army dreams are about to come true. He has rehearsed for this day. He has shot Nerf guns at his sister and at our dog and at his father. And he is prepared and ready to go. And so as Shauna, our neighbor, and my wife, Sonia, are like trying to figure out, are we going to show this gun to this lady or not, for real? Carter, he jumps off the front porch, runs down the steps, runs down the driveway, meets this lady at the end of the driveway, and he bows up with all his three-year-old self can muster. And this is what he says. He goes, we're going to shoot you when you're going to be dead. <laughs> I realized I had no control of my children at that point. That's actually why we moved here. I lost, no, I didn't lose my job. That's not why. But, but really, it was, it was one of those moments. And right, like, aren't there moments when we feel like we don't have control of our kids? You know, we can go to other areas of our life too when it comes to control. There's other areas of our lives we don't feel like we have control of. Sometimes it might be something financial. We feel like, you know, I don't have control of my finances. I feel like I don't have control of my relationships. You know, maybe if you're dealing with an addiction or a, or a harmful hang-up in your life, maybe you feel like you can't even control your actions. And isn't it true when we feel that way that often it's easy for us to feel almost powerless, we can feel helpless. We can feel powerless. In some ways, we might even feel hopeless. And if we're honest, we probably all feel that way more often than we'd like to admit. Isn't that true? Well, here's the thing. The people that we're going to look at today um, in the couple passages that we're going to look at, they actually felt the very same way. They actually felt powerless and helpless and hopeless. And these were actually Jesus' followers. Now, if you remember, many of Jesus' followers had sacrificed much to follow Jesus, right? They had actually turned their lives upside down to follow Jesus and to follow his teachings. Uh, many of them had sacrificed family relationships. Many of them had sacrificed possessions. Many had sacrificed their careers, their, whatever, they, their desires and what it was that they wanted to follow Jesus. And they did it for one reason. They believed that he was the Messiah, they believed Jesus was the Messiah that was going to come and was going to bring victory and peace to the people of Israel. But now he was dead. On a Friday that we call Good Friday, Jesus was crucified and killed. He was murdered at the hands of angry men. This man that they had sacrificed everything for, that they had put their lives on hold for, is now dead and he's behind a stone. Now, this is where we're going to pick up the story. Look at your Bibles at Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 57. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. And we're also going to throw it up on the screens if you'd like to look up there. 
After Jesus was crucified on what we would call Good Friday, this is where we pick it up. As evening approached, verse 57, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Now, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Now, we don't know a whole lot about who this Joseph guy was. All the Gospels mention him, but we don't know a whole lot about him. We do know that what it said there, that he was a rich man, okay? Uh, we also know, if you were to look at Luke's account of, of this story, okay? So, the Gospels are four different stories, all, or four different perspectives of the same story of Jesus, okay? If you were to look at Luke's account of it, he actually mentions that Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin, Okay, do you remember Nicodemus that we talked about a few weeks back, who was also a member of the Sanhedrin? These were powerful political figures. It would be the equivalent of today in America, the Supreme Court, sitting on the Supreme Court. This is the, the level of authority that they held. And actually, this is probably the only reason that he even got an ear with Pilate in the first place. So he goes to Pilate. Many scholars think that he probably had to pay off Pilate to get the body of Jesus because typically whenever rebels like Jesus, because that's what they considered him, when they were crucified publicly like that, they didn't let them take them down. They let the birds come and take care of what they did naturally because they, didn't want, they wanted to make a statement about it. But he goes to Pilate and he likely buys the body of Jesus from Pilate so that he can go and he can bury him. Look at verse 59. Joseph, he took the body. He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone, everybody say big stone, in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. So Joseph goes, and he asks for the body of Jesus, and he pays Pilate whatever he has to pay him to get him. He prepares the body, he buries him, and he rolls a big stone in front of the tomb of the body of Jesus, and he goes away. Now imagine what Jesus' followers were feeling at this moment. Imagine the powerlessness and the hopelessness that they felt in this moment. If you were to go to them and you were to talk to them, they would say, you know, we, we thought he was the Messiah. But we can show you where his body's buried right now. If you were to talk to the disciples, they could tell you, you know, there, there was this time when he fed thousands and thousands of people with, with this kid's lunch. He brought a few loaves and a couple fish, and he fed people, and he did miracles like this that we've never seen anybody do before. He has to be the Messiah. But now he's dead, and he's buried just like any other normal human being would be. Think about the woman at the well. No doubt this spread, we find, on later, find out later in that chapter of Luke that we're going to look at in a few moments, the last chapter of Luke, that the word had spread all around Jerusalem. As I think about if you were to find that woman at the well at this point after Jesus has di had died, and that woman at the well would have told you, he told me everything about myself. He gave me living water. He took away my, my shame. He looked at me in such a way that I've never been looked at before. I've never met anybody like him. He, he has to be the Messiah. But now he's dead and he's laying behind a tomb. Think about, you ever thought about his mother Mary? Jesus' mother Mary? I think that's probably one of the, the most grave instances of this. Mary would, Mary would say, I, I remember the night that the angel came and told me that I was going to have this immaculate conception. And I said, no, 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 I can't, I can't have a baby. I'm not married yet. And he said, no, 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 the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And you're going to have a child. And he's going to be the Messiah. And you're going to name him Jesus. And she probably thought, did I just dream all of that? Because now I can tell you where we buried him. Think about the disciples. 
You guys remember the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? This happened just a couple days before he was arrested and crucified. And the disciples would say, we were coming into the city of Jerusalem and Jesus told us to go get this donkey that nobody's ever ridden on. And so we went and got this donkey and we put him on it. And as we came into the city, the crowds of people, not a handful, crowds of people came and they threw their coats on the ground and they laid down palm branches so that Jesus' donkey that he was on could ride across it as a symbol of his authority and his dominion and as a symbol of celebration and respect to Jesus. And imagine their thoughts. That just happened a few days ago, and now he's dead. They felt powerless. They felt hopeless. They'd invested everything in this man, and now he lay dead with a stone rolled in front of his tomb. It's dark. You see, the stone was the last thing to be put in place in a burial. The Jewish custom for burial was typically this. They would take the deceased body... And they would lay out linen strips. That's usually what they used. And they would line those linen strips with various uh, sweet-smelling oils and spices to, to keep the decomposing body from smelling as bad as it would on its own. And so they would line those strips, and then they would wrap the body in those strips. And they would take that body, and they would carry it, and they'd place it inside of a tomb. And inside the tomb, many times families were buried together in the tomb. And so you would actually have three shelves. There would be one that lined the back of the tomb, and then one on either side that would line the tomb. And so often when you read in the Old Testament where it says, and he went to sleep with his fathers, when they describe a person dying, that's what it was referring to, that these families were actually buried together in this communal ancestral tomb is what would happen. And so they would wrap the body, prepare it, wrap it, they'd place it in on one of those shelves, and then they'd actually put even more spices, they would pack it around the body again to keep the smell from becoming bad. But the final thing that they would do is they would put, Stones, or they would roll a stone to seal the tomb. And I think for Jesus' followers, that day when they rolled that tomb to cover the body of Jesus, the tomb of Jesus, it represented a few things. See, that stone, I think, represented, for Jesus' followers, it represented sorrow and despair. Now, I know that may seem like a given because anytime someone dies, there's sorrow, there's sadness. But this was a unique sadness because this was their friend and for Mary and others, it was their family member. But he was also their leader and who they thought their Messiah was going to be. And so there was a sorrow there because never in a million years would they have thought when Jesus was doing the miracles that he was doing, never would they have thought they would have laid his dead body behind a stone. See, they were likely feeling shame as well. Oftentimes when loved ones of ours die, we do the very same thing. We begin to blame ourselves and we begin to ask questions like, what more could we have done? What could we have done to, to keep this from happening? And no doubt they felt this sorrow and they felt this shame and they felt this despair. And that stone represented that to Jesus' followers. I think the other thing the stone represented was this, confinement, containment. See, the stone was meant to keep things in and keep things out. That big stone they rolled in place was meant to keep the body of Jesus in, and it was meant to keep people and other people and animals and such outside of the tomb. Now, it was rare in those days to find a Jewish tomb with a stone entrance like this. See, most tombs in those days were covered by a smaller hinged door or by smaller stones and rocks. 
As a matter of fact, archaeologists that have done a bunch of digs over in this area of the world, they've found about 900 different tombs. And of the 900 tombs, only four of them are the large stone entrance tombs with a giant rolling stone like what was used for Jesus' burial. These were generally, generally reserved for royalty or for wealthy people. And, and Jesus was buried here. And let me just give you this little fun fact too. This is why the Old Testament is so important. See, the Old Testament actually predicted and prophesied all these things that are happening. Do you know that? You can't make this stuff up. Actually, in the Old Testament, I think it was Isaiah, he said, he said that Jesus is going to be buried in a new tomb. Well, the tomb that he was laid in was a brand new tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. The other one it said was that he was going to be buried in a rich man's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, a wealthy man who buried him in his tomb. Again, these prophecies that look forward to the Savior coming. But that tomb, it represented, that stone, it represented confinement. And that large stone made this moment of burial, it made it permanent. And if you remember the story, the religious people around wanted to make it even more permanent. Do you remember what they did? The religious people went to Pilate and they said, hey, Pilate, look, this guy said he was going to raise from the dead on the third day. So you need to go and you need to seal that, that stone and you need to put some guards outside of that stone so that the disciples, his, people, his followers, can't come steal the body and say he rose from the dead. So not only was there this large stone in place, but these, the, uh, the guards there were guarding outside of that tomb. As we sang a moment ago, we know it was in vain. But it was absolutely, that stone represented confinement. It represented containment. I think the last thing the stone represents is this. It's finality. That stone represented to Jesus' followers finality and the end. See, I mentioned a moment ago that they were hopeless. You see, all their hope rested in Jesus as their Messiah. And yet now he's dead. He lay behind a stone in a borrowed tomb. They were hopeless. They believed that this was all over. And likely, along with that hopelessness, there was fear attached to it as well. Because oftentimes, whenever a rebel would, would rise up in, a, in an area and they were going to kill that guy, they wouldn't just kill the rebel like they did Jesus, but they would actually come after his followers because they wouldn't want any of the followers to rise up and take the place of the leader and keep the movement going. And so they had no idea what Pilate had ruled whenever he, he chose to crucify Jesus. Remember when he reluctantly crucified him? He, he said, Jews, okay, fine, you can have what you want. The disciples and his followers had no idea about any of that because they were off hiding. They were scared. And so attached to this hopelessness, attached to this finality, there was fear that that stone represented to Jesus' followers. And listen to me, maybe that's how you come in here today. Maybe you come in and, and you feel sorrow and you feel despair and you feel and you carry shame, just like that stone represented to them. Maybe you came in here today and you said, you know what, I, that, that confinement, and that's the way I feel. I feel trapped I feel trapped in this situation that I'm in. I feel trapped in this addiction that I'm facing. I feel confined. I feel controlled. I feel owned. Maybe it's like that last description of the stone that you feel. that There's no hope. Nothing's ever going to change. I feel hopeless. I feel fearful that nothing is ever going to change. Let me encourage you. Listen, watch how this story ends. Watch this. Luke 24. In your Bibles, Luke 24, I love this gospel's account of this special day. Luke 24, 1 says, on the first day of the week, everybody say first day. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. Now this verse gives us a glimpse into what they were thinking. 
and what they were expecting or not expecting. They didn't come to the tomb expecting to find a a risen Jesus. They didn't. They came expecting him to be exactly where they had laid him before because they came with more burial spices. Keep going. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away. Everybody say rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Listen to me. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody, listen to me, expected no body. Remember, this tomb, this, this rock had sealed the tomb. There were people outside the tomb, Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. Nobody expected to show up and there not be anybody in there. And yet, when they came, the stone was rolled away and the body of Jesus was not there. Now look at verse four. Now, if we don't get a few amens during these next couple lines here, my old pastor I grew up around would say, if that doesn't bless you, your blesser's broke, which is horrible English, all right, grammar, but it's, it's so true. Are right, you ready? While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright or in their fear, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. Get this. He has risen. Jesus rose. Jesus moved the stone and it changes everything. You see, the stone said, it's over. When that stone rolled into place, it said, despair and sorrow and feel shame. The stone said, you're trapped and you're confined and you're contained and you're owned by your sin. And it also said, there's no hope and there's no way out. But listen to me, church, when he came out of the grave, he said, no, 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 it's not over yet. And he rose in victory over death. Somebody say amen. Amen. It changes everything. And if you ask me, Pastor, why are you so excited? Let me tell you why I'm excited. Because if the resurrection doesn't happen, everything else we Christians talk about is worthless. If the resurrection doesn't take place, everything else that Jesus said, everything else he did, everything else in Christianity is absolutely worthless. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Jesus is not raised, listen to what he says, our faith is worthless and we're still in our sin. The resurrection changes everything and our faith fully depends on the resurrection of Christ. This is what's so cool. See, Christianity is not some self-help religion. It's not so, oh, you come in here and you hear good teaching and you, you fix yourself and you change yourself and then God accepts you. No, no, no. Christianity is the gospel and the gospel is the good news and the good news is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen, the, the, this is what sets Christianity apart from any other religion. Listen to me close. This sets Christianity apart from any other religion. Every other religion says, if you do this, 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 and this, then you'll be accepted. Am I right? Christianity says, no, no, no. Because of what God did through Jesus' death and resurrection, you're accepted because of what he did. Listen, that changes everything. And the resurrection does three things for us. I want to tell you really quick. Are you ready? The resurrection does three things for us. First thing it says, your past can be forgiven. Yeah, that's a good one to amen right there. Your past can be forgiven. Anytime we start talking like this, 
the instant thought that pops in many heads in the room is, but Pastor Brian, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things that go through my mind on a daily. You don't, you don't know my past. You don't know my history. You don't know about my previous marriage. You don't know about this situation that I walked through and I didn't make good choices. You don't understand what I've done. Listen, Jesus says through the resurrection that your past can be wiped clean and it can be forgiven. The most famous verse in all of scripture John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That's you and that's me. When we were enemies, right? God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him, believes in him, will have eternal life. Did you notice there was no parentheses in there that said only if you didn't do this, this, or this? Praise God for that. Because if it was, your pastor wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't be standing up here in front of you if there was a parenthesis in there that said only certain people's past can be forgiven. There's a lot of us who wouldn't be sitting in this room today shouting and celebrating. But the resurrection says, if you'll believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, you can be saved and your past can be wiped clean. Listen, this, one, this one's good too. Listen, the resurrection not only says your past can be forgiven, it says your present can be transformed. Your present can be transformed. See, see, the scriptures tell us that, we're, that God's moving us from glory to glory. That he's slowly changing us through the power of the resurrection. And so maybe you came in here today, like I said a few moments ago, and you feel confined and you feel trapped, just like that stone trapped the body of Jesus in the tomb. Jesus says, because of the resurrection, you are no longer powerless against sin. No addiction, nothing you face, nothing you'll come in contact with next week or the week after or the next year. Nothing. There's no stone that Jesus can't move. Anything you face in this life, Jesus can give you power and he can give you victory. And it's only because of the resurrection. Because if he didn't rise, Paul says, we're of all people most miserable. Your present can be transformed. Let me give you the last one. The resurrection says your past can be forgiven, your present can be transformed. And it also says your future is secure. Well, isn't that a good one? Isn't it good that our eternity, our everlasting life with Jesus is not dependent on what we do? Because I'd have lost mine a long time ago. Your future is secure. And so where the stone said it's hopeless, there's no future, nothing's ever going to change. The resurrection says your future is secure. And you can move from hopelessness to hope-filledness. That changes everything. Jesus moved the stone. And listen, he still moves stones today. Jesus is still in the stone-moving business. He hasn't quit. He hasn't hung it up. He wants to move stones in your life today. So this is my question for you. Listen close. What stone in your life do you need Jesus to move today? What stone? What miracle? This is the greatest miracle of all time that we just read about. Do you think your problem's too big for God? Do you think there's a stone in your life that God can't move and breathe on and give you the power to have victory? He still moves stones, church. And maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ. Maybe you're, you're one of the people that joins us on Easter and Christmas, and we're really happy that you're here. We love it. We love that you come. But maybe God had a different plan in mind for you this year. 
Maybe God said, I'm going to actually take you to that service and I'm going to radically transform your life forever. Because whether you know it or not, if you don't know Jesus Christ, listen to me, look real close. This is important. You've been living in a tomb capped by a stone. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been living in a tomb capped by a stone. Would you place your faith in him and trust him today? Come to know Jesus. Jump in, the water's fine. He wants to give you freedom. See, you came in here feeling hopeless. He wants to give you hope. This is not some made-up thing. Every bit of what we just talked about is backed up historically. And God wants to do it in your life. Listen, Christian, maybe you're here and you've, you've been wrapped up in an addiction. Maybe you've been fa- there's a situation in your life that you're facing. And you say, I, just, I don't see any way out. You see, because of the resurrection, you have power to get out. Maybe that sin has been crippling you. It's been owning you. It's been controlling you. See, the resurrection says that present can be transformed. Ask God to move that stone in your life today. Because of the resurrection, we have the power of the resurrection in us. Now close your Bibles and look right here. I'm almost done. Close your Bibles. Let me see your eyeballs. Listen, you might remember the boxer a long time ago, Muhammad Ali. Remember that guy? Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, something like that. Greatest fighter of all time. What a lot of people don't know about Muhammad Ali is actually his daughter, Layla Ali, was a boxer, a professional boxer as well. You wouldn't want to mess with her, trust me. Uh, as she was coming to the end of her career, she actually uh, was in negotiations to do a fight in, uh, in South Africa. And eventually, through some negotiations and such, she accepted this fight in South Africa, this big fight. It was going to end her career and be this big deal. And if you remember, Muhammad Ali also fought in South Africa many years ago. Remember that one? It was a really famous fight called the Rumble in the Jungle. Yeah, you guys know the Rumble in the Jungle. Well, as the fight drew near, the trash talking began as it always does with boxing matches and such. And people started throwing insults back and forth. And the critics began to, to say things about Layla. And they said, you're not good enough. You don't even deserve to be here. You're going to lose. They said things like, the only reason you got invited here to fight is because of who your daddy is. And they began to hurl insults back and forth. And the day of the fight finally came. And Layla Ali was sitting in her corner, as boxers do, on the little stool before she entered the ring to fight. Her trainers, they gathered around her. And this is what they told her. They said, Layla, we've heard the critics just like you have. We've heard the things they've been saying about you. And I'm going to tell you something, Layla. You're going to win this fight for the same reason that they say you're going to lose this fight. They looked at her and they said, Layla, you're going to win this fight because the spirit of your father is in you. And they said, your father is the greatest of all time. Bell rings. She steps into that ring. A few swings, knocks that sister out in the first round in under a minute. Done. And what I love about that story is it pictures so perfectly what we get through the resurrection. See, I I hope you guys know where I'm going with this, and I hope you're ready to say amen, because listen to me. The power of the resurrection is in you. See, Paul says in Romans, he says, look, the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the grave is living in you. And you're going to win the fight because he's in you. 
So the next time the enemy comes and sits on your shoulder this week, and he says, look, you're not good enough. You're trapped by a stone. You're confined, you're owned, you're controlled. You got no hope. You need to despair, you need to sorrow. What I want you to do is I want you to remind him and I want you to remind yourself that the spirit of your father lives in you because of the resurrection. Let me connect the dots for you. See, your father was in a rumble too, just like hers. It wasn't a rumble in a jungle, but it was a fight on top of a hill called Calvary. And he went up on that hill and he was beaten and he was mocked and he was cursed and he was spit upon and they spread his arms out on a tree and they drove nails through his feet and through his hands and they murdered him on a cross and the referee began the knockout count. One on Friday. They said, this guy's done. This is over. And the devil smiled and he began to celebrate because he thought he was going to hold Jesus down. And Saturday morning came and two, the referee said, this guy's not coming back. There's no way. But listen to me. Sometime on Sunday morning, church, are you with me? Sometime on Sunday morning, as the referee pulled his hand back and began to count three, your Jesus and my Jesus, the Messiah of the world, rose from the dead and gives us power over anything in this life. He rose for you and for me. And he came up, not just from the dead, but he came back with the keys to death and hell in his hands. And Paul tells us, hey, there's no more sting. Grave, death, you got no more victory. Because Jesus was victorious over death. Amen? Listen, he walked out of that grave so that you and I can do the same. Listen, you're not meant to go through this life trapped by a stone. That's not God's purpose for your life. He wants you to walk in victory He wants you to be powerful, not powerless, because the spirit of the resurrection, Christian, lives inside of you. Amen? Listen, he rolled that stone away, and he still moves stones today. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we just can't help but get excited. God, I'm excited about the chains that are about to break in this room. I'm excited about the stones that you're going to move in people's lives right here in this congregation. God, I'm excited for the people that that are going to come to know you. For the first time, they're going to walk out of that tomb that's been capped by a stone their whole life. And so, Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and convict in a way that only he can. That we'd see people move from death into life today, right now. Father, begin to work in their hearts. God, we thank you for the power that we have in us because of the resurrection. There is nothing like it. There is no substitute for it. And it changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Look right here at me for a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute. And so some of you, as you've been listening to this message, the Holy Spirit of God's been convicting your heart. It's been kind of poking at your heart feels kind of like your conscience, but a little bit more powerful. And you're ready to accept Jesus Christ. You've played the church game or you've come to church a couple times a year for your whole life. And today the Holy Spirit of God said, it's time for you to courageously step forward in faith and be saved and get out of that tomb and move that stone. And so in just a minute, I'm going to ask you 
to pray a prayer with me. There's nothing fancy about the prayer. There's nothing special about it, but it just reflects the heart of someone who's ready to, to repent and be saved. And my goal for you is that you would experience new life, that you would move from death to life because there's nothing like it. You followed the enemy for too long. You've wasted enough of your life. Don't let the enemy have another day. Don't let him have another minute to do this for me. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? I don't want anybody to feel embarrassed. I don't want anybody looking around. If you'd like to receive Jesus, Scripture tells us it's a free gift. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. You just receive it by faith. So if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior today, would you be willing to just lift your hand right where you sit? We had several people in the first service that accepted Christ, and it's so exciting. Nobody looking around. Nobody's looking at me. Would you just lift your hand right where you sit? If you'd like to accept Christ as your Savior. Thank you. I see those hands. Anybody else? Listen, we'll wait. We'll wait. We're not in a hurry. You can put them down. Listen, if you... If you raised your hand, would you, would you just pray this prayer after me? Church, you guys can pray it with us and pray for those who are coming into the family right now. Pray this. Jesus, I believe in your resurrection. I believe you died in my place. Forgive me for my sin. I believe in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look right this way. Can we celebrate those who just accepted Jesus? Timmy, listen to me. This is this is so important. As you read scripture and you see people that come to know Jesus Christ, we see a couple of things. We see that they repent and they confess their sin, which is what you guys just did. And the next thing every single one of them did all throughout the New Testament is they were baptized right there on the spot. They accepted Jesus Christ inwardly, that faith took place inwardly, and then they were baptized publicly. And baptism for some people is kind of scary, this scary thing. But listen, this is what it is. It's an identification with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Dying to sin and self, going under the water, being buried, and coming up, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what it represents. It's, a, it's an outward showing of your inward faith. And actually, we have our baptistry ready every single week. We've been baptizing people left and right lately. The last three weeks in a row, we've baptized folks who have come to know Jesus. So that's exciting. And we never want to take that for granted. But listen, I would like to encourage you. If you accepted Christ just now, if you lifted a hand, would you come forward and be baptized? We've actually got clothing for men and women back there. We've got towels. Nobody cares what your hair looks like, all right? There's no plans after church that should keep you from being willing to make that faith public. It's so important. And listen, this group of people right here, we like to celebrate this stuff. We want to celebrate. We want to encourage. We want to lift you up. And so in just a minute, as the band begins to sing, I'm going to be standing right here in the front. Just come forward. Have some courage and come forward. Maybe you're here and you've accepted Christ and it's been a while, but you've never been baptized. You've always had this fear of like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to do that or I'm not ready to make it public. Would you have the courage to come forward? Trust me, we'll be here with open arms. We'd love to be able to baptize you right here on the spot and celebrate with you. And we've got a family that's actually going to be baptizing their son. He accepted Christ this past week. Listen, God's at work in this congregation, church. God's at work. I got a call this past week that they want to get baptized. So we're going to go ahead and we're we're dunking him in Jesus' name. Listen, 
would you have the would you have the courage to step forward and make it public let me pray I'm going to pray for courage for you right now and we're going to sing Heavenly Father would you give courage to those who have given their hearts to you just now would you give them courage to come forward and be baptized and make that faith public God I'm excited for what you're doing right here in this congregation change us and help us to change our city and change our world the good news of the resurrection is too good to keep to ourselves so father would you move in this moment give your holy spirit the power to conquer the enemy in every person's life right now that needs to come forward and be baptized we'll give you the glory for what you do in jesus name